0: All right, could you please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? We have a uh, bit of a long passage. We're in Jonah chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for Pastor Kyle. I pray for your spirit to fill him and speak through him. Help us to have open ears for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Um, morning.
1: Good morning, Mary. I'm a little shorter than Mark, so maybe we can put the volume down just a tweak. On this thing. how many people have ever cried out from the belly of a fish before <laughs> metaphorically speaking got any stubborn christians and hear that it takes something like that to finally wake us up um, so when i was in seminary studying preaching they always told me that people love um, to talk about literary structure it really gets them excited and really um, in love with God's word. Not, um, but that's what I'm going to do. But, but it's important though that we do this because it helps you see exactly what this book is about. Um, there's a very basic and quite obvious literary structure to the Book of Jonah. Okay, I um, I don't know. Yeah, it's not all fitting on one screen, but. Um, the, the, this is sort of sort of like the progress that we see. Um, if we can sort of bullet point them, okay? The first part, we see Jonah commissioned. You heard Mark read that, Pastor Mark read that this morning. Um, God says, go to Jonah, do this, call out to Nineveh for this sin is great. And he says, no, I'm getting on a boat. And that's the B section. Um, a storm comes, and the pay, we see the pagan sailors and God's discipline. The pagan sailors wake Jonah up. And Jonah begins to explain to them why the storm is happening. And then when Jonah finally realizes that it's his fault that the storm is happening, we see this long prayer. Um, In this third section, you see Jonah's humble prayer. If you go to that next slide, what we'll see is almost sort of a repeat. The rest of the book, chapter 3 and on, sort of the A's kind of match the other A's. It's kind of hard to tell if they're not all on the same screen, but hope you get the gist. So Jonah is recommissioned in chapter 3. Um, he goes and be to the pagan Ninevites rather than the pagan sailors. He begins to preach. And we see the impending discipline of God on those Ninevites unless they repent. And they did. And, th- and at the repentance, we see another prayer, but like a bizarro prayer. Because the, the prayer in the belly of the fish is a humble one. It's a prayer of re- repentance. But this prayer is a proud prayer. God, uh, Jonah is actually angry at God. In this, in this point. And then finally, the book closes with basically the main point, the climax. God begins to teach Jonah a lesson by sending them that tree that, remember, that wilted didn't have water. What's interesting to me about this is oftentimes we see in, in the book of Jonah, if you've been around for a while, you've read the Bible for for any number of times, I'm sure you've heard of the story of Jonah and have been attracted to reading it. So Jonah is a very popular book for Christians. Most Christians have, at some point, read this, this, this uh, book in the Bible. Um, and oftentimes we get sort of like captivated by this bizarre event where a fish comes and swallows him. And what we often do, times too, as preachers do is we, we start to emphasize the fact that God wants, wants us to preach to lost God cares about lost people. So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which certainly all those themes are in there. But what's so striking to me as you look through this, all of these are like directing our eye to the fact that this book very much is about Jonah. Right? It's not so much about the Ninevites. It's not so much about God's providence. All of those things are in there. We, we mentioned last week that really the book of Jonah is a confession. So each of these things sort of point our eye, they focus our eye into the fact that this is very much about God's concern with the attitude and heart of his people. Mm. He wants our hearts to beat with his heart. Mm. He wants us to follow him and not ourselves. So this book is essentially concerned about God's people, about us having the heart of our God. It's a book about spiritual formation then for the Christian. So that's why when Jonah flees, by the way, God says, I have a job for you to do. I want you to go to preach to the Ninevites. When Jonah flees, he doesn't just say, okay, let's move on to the next prophet, and then the next, until I find someone that actually listens to me. God doesn't do that. He doesn't let Jonah run away. And friend, if you're, let's just take a lesson right now. I'm already starting with the applications. It's too soon for that. Um, But I'll just say it. God won't let you run away if you're his. You don't get off the hook. Once you're a child of God, you always are a child of God. And who you are and how your heart beats matters. So that when Jonah flees from God's presence in disobedience to his command, God doesn't just move on to the next prophet and to the next until he finally finds someone that's going to listen to him. No, he goes after Jonah. So this this book isn't simply... About the rescue of a lost nation It's about the rescue of a lost sheep God wanted Jonah's heart to be like his And friend, if you're a Christian this morning He wants your heart Before he wants your feet Do you know what I mean by that? Feet work, they do stuff for God, right? That's easy I can sort of force myself into doing tasks But I can't force myself into loving those things. See, God wants our heart before he wants our feet, friend. And if I'm a good pastor and if this is a good church, we're going to want your heart before we want your money or before you want your service. We want you to love Jesus Christ. Because we can get you to do some work for a little while, and we maybe can get you to give some money for a little while, and that might, might be nice at Christmas time for us. But what's it worth in the end? if we don't have your heart. God wants your heart before he wants your purse. He wants your heart before he wants your hands and before he wants your feet. Friends, do your hearts as Christians beat in time with the rhythm of God's? If we are God's people by faith, when our feet (laughs) take us away from God's heart and God's mission, God is not content to find someone else's feet. And bid us farewell we're not off the hook because he doesn't just want your feet he wants your heart so, but Jonah was fleeing from God's presence as we so often do this I've said last week isn't a story about Jonah this is a story about us we're all there with him in the belly of this big fish so before we're hard on Jonah let's remember that we're in there in the muck and slime with him we've all been there Perhaps you've been running from God because you're just refusing to do something or not do something that he's made clear to you, right? Maybe that's not why you're running from God, though. Maybe you're running from God because of something he took from you, something that didn't work out, that your heart longed for, so you, you don't understand it and you're mad. Oh, friends, we've all been there. I don't look down my long, hairy nose at you because I'm a pastor, as if I've never gone through this myself. It's not always important why we're running away from God, but that we are. Right? If you want to to read a sermon about the book of Jonah, purchase the classic book, Moby Dick, by Herman Melville. There is a chapter in it called The Sermon, and it's all about the book of Jonah, and it's wonderful, actually. It pictures this crusty old sailor who's now a pastor preaching to this a chapel filled with sort of like these tough, gritty fishermen, right? I imagine it stunk in that room. This weathered preacher, he starts to expound on the book of Jonah, and he says these wonderful words, I love them. He says, all the things that God would have us do are hard. All of them. All the things that God would have us do are hard. So, he says, if we obey God, we must first disobey ourselves. Isn't that great? I don't even think Herman Melville was a Christian, but he nailed it. Because our flesh so often doesn't get God and thinks we should do the exact opposite so that if we're ever to obey him, it's got to be because we trust him, not because we understand him. That's why the just shall live by faith alone. Because we, we trust him. That when things don't make sense to me, they make sense to him. So often we walk away from God because we won't disobey ourselves. Jonah couldn't. Have you ever had a hard time disobeying yourself in place of God? For Jonah, God just didn't make sense to him anymore. We we mentioned last week that this wasn't just about like he didn't like the Ninevites. There was a spiritual crisis happening for Jonah. He didn't understand the God that he thought he did understand. And one day in your Christian life, you're going to run into that. You're going to think, God, I, I, I know I used to love you. You used to make sense to me, but now something has happened, and this is bewildering. And I don't understand you anymore. Job went through this. So God no longer made sense to him, so he made himself out to be God by listening to his own command. And he, he obeyed himself, what he understood, rather than trusting God, which is the root of all sin. He did what he thought was best. There's these wonderful words by this old theologian named uh, Dr. Chafer. He once commented in this wonderful book. He said, Satan's sin against God and the primal gl- glory was a five-fold expression of two defiant words. I will. Satan's sin. I will, not thy will. And he says, in every unyielded life, is perpetuating the crime of Satan. When God wills the thing, oh, how often we will something else. So we run, we flee. I'm done with this. And I know, by the way, I'm smart enough, I've been a Christian long enough to know that I can be sitting in a chair at a church and be in Tarshish. It doesn't look like I've fleed, but I have. I'm here, but I'm not here. You know what I'm saying? You're running. But God isn't content to let his children run because the word of God says nothing will separate you from the love of God. Mm -hmm. When you put faith in Jesus Christ, nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing, Jesus said, can snatch you from my father's hand. You are in his hand. And nothing can snatch you from my own hand. You are in my hand. Isaiah 41, I took you from the ends of the earth. I found you. In its farthest corners, I called you. You think you can outrun God? You think you can hide from him? You can't. He's there. And I said, when he showed up and he found you and he called you in this far place, what did he say? I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and I have not rejected you. Oh, great news. Isn't that great news? When I was in my early 20s, I think I mentioned this, I found myself... Like Jonah, low, lower than whale poop, right at the bottom, doing things I'd never thought I'd ever do as a Christian. You know, sometimes people make their, their testimonies and say, before I knew Jesus, I did drugs and I had slept around and then I came to Christ and now I'm awesome. Sure. No, friends, I was a Christian when this was happening. I did things that I never thought I would ever do. And when I came to my senses, I didn't feel as if I could come back to the Lord. I felt I just disqualified myself from every every intention I ever had to serve in Jesus Christ. But this this verse, one of them, like these, just shone through that darkness for me. I came to the ends of the earth for you, and I have not rejected you. Isn't that the whole point of the gospel of grace? The cross of Jesus Christ? In our moments of confusion and rebellion, God sets himself on a mission to come after us and get us. He sends the dark clouds of his kind providence to bring us back to his loving presence. We don't like the dark cloud part because they come. But he sends the dark clouds of his kind providence to bring us back to his loving presence. And friends, that is the loving discipline of a gracious Heavenly Father that is not content to let you go. Isn't that good news? There are five stages that I can see that Jonah went through here in this divine hunt. We call it sometimes discipline. There are five stages that accompany this kind of correction when our Heavenly father pursues us in the first stage we all know it very well we'll call it the calm we have determined i don't get god i don't like what he's asking me to do this thing doesn't make sense i'm going this way now and the calm stage is everything's working out everything's just ducky things seem great right in the narrative in verse three it tells us that jonah boards a ship and heads in the opposite direction, 2,000 miles from where God told him to go. Now, the very next verse reads, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. It almost seems like it immediately happened. We'll get to that in a moment. But certainly some time must have gone by between the time he determined to leave God and the time that the storm showed up. It must have been the case. Jonah had to travel... To Joppa from his hometown. That must have taken days. He must have had money in his pocket that he collected to pay the captain of the ship, right? He must have gotten ready. I can't imagine he just came with nothing. Maybe filled a little suitcase. Journeys to Joppa, finds a vessel, boards it, gets settled for his long journey to Spain. Maybe he just says hello to the crew, wants to get to know their names. You know, he's a prophet. He's a people person, right? He works with people. So no doubt, hey, who are you, where are you from? Nice to meet you. I'm Jonah. Maybe he even had a little nice hot meal. Thinks God's, all right, God's letting me do this, all right. And, and even they start sailing, right? We, we know they must have sailed some distance because if they had just left, why would, why would they be in so much trouble? They could just simply turn around and go back to dock. But they, they're pictured throwing all of the, they're terrified, they're throwing all the stuff off the ship so that they don't sink. There's, there's no option. There's no land in sight. So they must have been traveling for some time. How much time, we don't know. But certainly some time had gone by for Jonah to think that he was in the clear. We call that the calm. When we turn from God and we walk away from Him, oftentimes we think He's okay with it because stuff starts going good. Isn't that true? All seems well. We find a ship, the captain's willing to take us. We have the money to get on. Maybe we even have the nerve to say, Oh, God doesn't really care about this. He's actually blessing me right now. Isn't this good? but scripture says there is pleasure in sin for a season I don't know why I can't explain why but it seems true to me and my experience both in life also from the scriptures that when we, ter- when we determine to walk away from God there's this season of calm there's this season of, of as it seems as if it's okay that we're doing what we're doing but then comes the second stage the storm as soon as Jonah boards the ship, the Bible says in the next verse that a storm hits. Now again, we know that some time went by, it must have, but what we can take from this, the very fact that the next verse is the storm, is that God immediately, the moment that Jonah decided to leave God, God decided to chase Jonah. He, he, didn't, he wasn't sitting back and waiting. God immediately began his pursuit. It's in the very next verse. Jonah might not have felt it or seen it. Everything seemed to be turning up Jonah, but the father was on his way. And how did he arrive when he showed up? Not with a bouquet of flowers. (laughs)
0: Right?
1: Not with a Valentine's heart chocolate case. Oh, please come back, Jonah. No, he arrived in darkness. He arrived in danger. Jonah was in trouble, but not the sort of trouble that you might think. The Lord sent, the word in Hebrew there sent, a great wind. Now, that word is important because it was the Lord that sent the great wind. You see, I said before, Jonah is very much a confession, but we can see so much about God. God is involved in creation. God provides. God works his will. God controls all things. God sent the wind. It wasn't a freak of nature. It wasn't bad timing. It was orchestrated by the divine will of God. God sent the great wind. It says later, as the ship began breaking up, the sailors threw the cargo into the sea. Same word for sent. God sent the wind, the sailors threw the cargo into the sea. And guess what? When they finally realized this was Jonah's fault, they sent Jonah into the waters. The same way that Jonah got into the sea and the same way that that cargo got into the sea is the same exact way that that wind hit the sea because it was sent by the sovereign will of God God is in control life is not an accident he is behind it and in it God leaves us no doubt and left Jonah no doubt that it was him that was doing this he showed up in a dark providence not a bright one not a nice one not one that we want to hug. God threw the wind, and God threw the sea, and God threw the ship. Not because he was mad at Jonah. It, w- it was because he was mad that Jonah was out of his presence. He was furious. Read Psalm 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my stony rock and my defense. Right? If you keep reading, the, 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 the psalmist says how much trouble that he was in darkness surrounded me and then all of a sudden the heavens open up and god is angry and he's coming on thunder and lightning because his kid's in trouble that's what's happening here god isn't going to smush jonah under his foot and exterminate him from existence he is ticked off though that the love and joy and prosperity that jonah could know is out of his reach now so god is mad You know, sometimes we don't like to think about the fact that we have an angry God. But if you really think logically through it, oh, I'm glad he gets angry. Because if he didn't get angry, he wouldn't have crucified my sin to a cross. If he wasn't angry at sin, I'd be left in darkness. Mm -hmm. You see, it's his anger that sent his son to a cross for sin but it was likewise his love that sent him there right he's both and we need both just looking at this world around us don't you know that we need a God who is just and a God who is love if he's only one we're just in big trouble if he's only love then we can we can burn buildings down we can kill each other it doesn't matter because he'll just let us get away with it but if he's only justice we're in big trouble There's no forgiveness. There's no grace. There's only death and eternal separation. But we have a God who's both. God leaves no doubt when he is after us. He showed up in the dark providence when he threw all of these things into chaos. And though this seems terrifying to us, let's remember the wise word of that old hymn by Abraham Cowper. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind A frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. When we run from God, he begins his pursuit and he finds us in the third stage of discipline. We call it sleep. Apathy. Right? The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and Jonah's ship is about to be broken up. Everyone's freaking out. They think we're going to die. Let's throw stuff overboard. They find Jonah asleep on, on, in the hold of the ship. You know, in the Hebrew, one, one book I was reading about this suggests that, that he was sleeping so loudly that that's how the captain found him. He couldn't find Jonah. But this deep sleep was... How many, how many people are deep sleepers, if you know what I mean? Like, if you're sleeping, we can find you. We know where you are. He's, such an, he's in such a deep sleep that it took this loud bang that a great storm and even a pagan captain had to wake him up to rebuke him. Now I can't help but think that there's this just obvious parallel in this passage to the one that's about Jesus. You know the, 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 the storm that Jesus found himself in with his disciples. The disciples found themselves in this incredible storm very much like this one And just like Jonah, Jesus is in a deep sleep, and in I think it's the Gospel of Luke or Mark, they add the fact that he he was in a deep sleep on a cushion. By the way, he was comfortable. (laughs) We're forced to contrast Jonah with Jesus, huh? They're like, Jonah's like bizarro Jesus, isn't he? But we're forced to, I mean, the the stories are so similar, we can't help but contrast them and compare them. There are big differences, though, between Jonah's sleep and Jesus' sleep. Okay? Jonah was sleeping to avoid. Jonah was sleeping to escape. Jonah was sleeping to hide from his guilt. He didn't want to think about it, what he had done. Not so with Jesus. Jesus was sleeping because he could sleep, because he was innocent. He was sleeping because Jesus was identifying himself with rest. So sleeping for Jesus identified his rest. He had a restful soul. But sleeping for Jonah identified his fear. Do you see the difference? Jesus slept to embrace. Jonah slept to escape and this is what we all do when we run from God we get busy finding ways to numb ourselves to change to get our mind off of what we have done so we could sleep it away we could TV it away we can Big Mac it away we can exercise it away oh we could work it away we could family it away we can throw some virtuous things in there too it's not just drugs and booze There's lots of ways that we can numb ourselves from what we've done. In the New York Times, there was a story told about a hit and run where this this man hit a young child, and the young child died, and he he took off. And it even says that if he had just stayed and called for help, he probably would have lived. Later on, this man was interviewed by the New York Times um, while he was in prison. He was sentenced. And from prison, the, the driver explained to the reporters that when he was a very young man, he broke his dad's watch. And when questioned about his watch by his father, he lied, he avoided it, he slept. He didn't have to face the storm, in other words. He found a way to avoid the storm, so he slept. And oh, how often we do this. We find ways to deceive ourselves, to trick ourselves, to numb ourselves, to distract ourselves. He didn't want to face his dad. He didn't want to come face to face with that hard truth of what he had done with his watch. And over his life, because he had learned this behavior as a young man, it escalated over time. And when it mattered most, it came with a high price. Jonah didn't want to be awake. Because when you're awake, you have to deal with yourself. Right? So God woke him up. Jonah was in a deep sleep, though, for a better reason. Oh, and I love this. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 15, I think you might see this on the screen. God put Adam into a deep sleep. Did you know that? Did you know that in Genesis chapter 15, God put Abraham into a deep sleep? Same words. See, this phrase here is the language of covenant. And if, if that confuses you, if you could, like, what does that mean, covenant? Covenant language in Scripture is simply this, that God is about to save us. He puts us into a deep sleep. In other words, it's this image of death. We deserve death. But he raises us up out of it. Right? So when you see this language, Jonah, Adam went into a deep sleep, the covenant of marriage. He's about to marry Eve, right? That's when that happens. God puts Abraham into a deep sleep, and then it says the presence of God made a covenant with Abraham and passed through the, the sacrifice that was made for sin. See, Abraham was in a deep sleep when that was happening. You know, and, and the image there is that God would pay for Abraham's sin. He was sleeping because God was the one that was awake to pay for the sin that he would, break, the, the sin that he would commit. So the language here that, that Jonah is in a deep sleep is a signal to us. It points forward to the greater Jonah who is in a deeper sleep in the belly of a bigger fish. Because for three days he was in the darkest place of hell so that he could save us and the reason that Jonah was that he should have opened his eyes and knew, God is saving me, in spite of me. He's saving me. In the middle of my disobedience, in the middle of my flights. he's dying for my sins. You see, oh, friends, the covenantal language is so obvious here. When God, when God does this, <laughs> this deep sleep, this picture of death, you know, in Matthew chapter 12, I just said this, but let me remind you. Jesus is the greater Jonah. He went into a deeper sleep in the belly of hell for you and for me. And you know, like Jonah was hurled up on the third day onto dry ground, friends, is the comparison, do I even need to say it? Because Christ on the third day in his deep Death became alive. Because Jesus went through a deep sleep, the deep sleep of God's judgment for sin, you won't ever have to. That's the message of Jonah. And that's the message of the Christian life. Even when we fail, Jesus wins. Jonah was in a deep sleep to remind him that God would pay for his sin. Oh, friends, and let me just remind you of this. When you you are going through the darkest of times in your life, let me remind you that that is meant to wake you up to the fact that Jesus went through a darker time so that he can lift you out of your darkness. So let your darkness lead you to rejoicing. To laughter because he's on his way to save this is when Jonah becomes aware the fourth stage these unlucky sailors start figuring out Right, the storm was happening because of Jonah so they asked him they start interviewing him <laughs> in the middle of this chaos what is your occupation where do you come from what is your country and from what people are you this is very weird that this is happening in the middle of a life-threatening storm. But they start asking him these questions. How interesting. And these questions wake Jonah up, not from his physical sleep, but from his spiritual flight. He starts to realize who he is. Oh, that's right. I'm not a son of man. I'm not Jonah of Amath. Here he grasped the severity of what he had done because of who he was. He should have known better. And who he did it to, his God. So what does Jonah say? I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of heaven. No, ma- makes no mention of his hometown. That's what they asked him, right? He says, I'm, I fear the Lord of heaven. I'm a child of Yahweh. That's who I am. Has has a, has someone who is not a Christian ever caught you getting your sin on when you were trying to hide the fact that you were a, that you were a Christian? Oops! Aren't you that guy from that church? Yeah, I am. It's just so I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. What what what's going on with me? He grasps it. He realizes I'm a Hebrew and I fear the God of heaven. What am I doing? I should have had faith, but I didn't. I have a new identity, a new purpose, and I found myself running from God. And friends, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we could ask the same question of of us. What is our occupation? Where do we come from? What is our country and from what people are you? The Bible gives us very clear answers to those questions in the New Testament. Our occupation is that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Where, where are we from and what is our country? Our kingdom is not of this world. We have a heavenly one. And from what people are you? It's not the United States of America. We are a holy nation and a royal priesthood by faith in Jesus Christ. That's who you are. I don't care what you've done and I, I don't care how far you've run from God. That's who you are and remembering that will give light. It will remind you, that's right, I should be going this way not that way. Because I'm his. Friends, God's discipline isn't meant, it isn't meant to shame us. It's meant to wake us up. It's meant to remind us of the great dignity of our new identity in Christ. It doesn't call into question our identity in Christ because we've made mistakes. That remains. Rather, God is bringing us back. He's chasing after us to reinforce the fact that we are his. Right? This storm wouldn't even be happening if we weren't. Right? It's interesting, though, when when Jonah realized this, it led him to further despair. He wasn't back yet. That's the last stage. Jonah isn't really restored just yet. This is just the next step. It's it's awareness of the guilt of sin. I, I'm guilty. I know who I am. I'm a child of God, and I've done this, and it's wrong. This is all my fault. He knew it. Oftentimes, friends, we know it too, don't we? When, when, jo- when Jonah realized that you know, his hand was in the cookie jar, what does he say? He's not restored, because what is his response? He says, throw me into the sea." you want this storm to stop for you throw me into the sea and friends oftentimes when we fail as Christians we first ignore it we have a little fun right but then we're woken up we know who we are and we know what we did and we begin to live in guilt and we put on ourselves a death sentence we say things like we're that we're that we're no good that we're getting what we deserve that there's no plan that God has for us anymore. We've forfeited it. We think this way, so we live in despair, and we jump into our proverbial sea. And oftentimes, I hate to say that when we fail, and we know it as Christians, we sink down to the bottom of that kelpy ocean, and we seek and wish for our own death. We might look restful to each other, but there's a storm inside these these sailors throw Jonah into this raging sea and God sends an unlikely hero (laughs) a big fish (laughs) swallows him up I, I sort of think of the prodigal son when he came to his senses he was around a lot of pigs it's kind of a gross place to be in But it was in this place that his awareness of what he had done awakened him to the grace of God. You see, you can't understand the grace of God until you understand the guilt of sin. Grace isn't anything, if sin isn't anything. Right? You see, Jonah's heart needed to be pricked first. And then God could give him that bouquet, that smile. his providence. The whole of chapter 2, we're going to do chapter 2 next week actually I'm just going to say a few quick things about it. It's a beautiful prayer actually mirrors Psalm 18 Um, but it's a wonderful prayer it's a long prayer, we're going to to deal with it next week, but let me just say a a few things. It's in this prayer that Jonah starts to wake up. It's the final stage of God's discipline or restoration from when we stray from his presence We see in this final stage repentance Renewal, victory, life. It's the stage where we realize God actually wants us with him, not away from him. That all of this has happened because he wants me close to him. When the dark clouds of his promise, it's that stage when they start to open up and we see the light of his smile. It's the stage of restoration. The blood of Jesus Christ has once and for all paid the debt of every sin we have ever committed against our God. And the blood of Christ has completely satisfied the righteousness of God. This can never be undone by any mistake we make. But we daily need to be saved as Christians from the lies that we believe, the ways that we revert back to an old story told to us about God or even about ourselves. We forget. So we need the the loving pursuit and dis- the, the strong arms of God to chase after us and remind us of who he is and his love for us. So in that sense, the believer does need to be saved from the flesh, not saved in the sense of what I mentioned before, but from bad, from the bad habits and and ways of thinking and choices that we can so often make and this awakening is what happens for Jonah in the belly of this fish in a deep dark dirty place he changed his attitude that's what the word repentance means not just about the wrong he had committed but about who God was he changed his mind about God what did he change his mind about? that God wasn't after him to smush him he realized that God was a loving, gracious, and forgiving God. So he remembered the Lord in chapter 2 and verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Oh, friends, is your life ebbing away? Can you, if you're a Christian and you have any word of God in you at all, can you simply do this one thing? Remember the Lord. Remember what he's like. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. He is eager to crown you and restore you and clean you. Remember the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 2, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered. He's listening. This moment He's waiting for you to speak to him. And he remembered this wonderful thing in chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation is from the Lord. I remem- This is where he remembered it, too. In a disgusting center of a fish filled with guts and ooze. That's where he remembered salvation is from the Lord. God can rescue me in the darkest place than I've ever been Jonah obeyed God's command in chapter 3 to preach in Nineveh not to avert God's anger not to get God off his back Jonah was now obedient in chapter 3 because he was reminded that God's love had never changed for him he said look what I've done kill me So they say, okay, plop. And he starts to sink, and a fish swallows him. That God sends, by the way. Just like he sent the wind, he sent the fish. Just like he sent the trouble, he sent the Savior from that trouble. You see, friends, it's there that he realized, (laughs) I'm in this fish right now because God wants to save me. Jonah remembered that the Lord had forgiven him through the one who would come later, the one that his life actually points to, Jesus Christ, who is in a darker and deeper sea than he ever would be. He remembered that he was a Hebrew, that he, in other words, he belonged to God. He was his child. And friends, if you are a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to him too. And why do we belong to God? It's not because we're good. It's not because we impressed him. It's because, chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is from the Lord. He gives it to us when we don't deserve it. And that's the grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Friends, this is always what causes us to come back to God when we stray from him. It's not his, his, his hand or arm of justice. It's his love and grace and mercy. The goodness of God, Paul said, leads us to repentance. The aha moments, the awakening that happened in this dark place was that Jonah didn't need to pay for his own sin because God paid for it for him. And when he remembered this, he confessed his sin And he came out to life. Friends, this prayer of repentance and the light of God's love, it shone forth. Imagine this. Where where is it likely that light's not going to show up? Probably deep in the ocean while you're in a fish. Right? The prayer of repentance and the light of God's love shone in the darkest place on earth, the deepest place on earth, the most hopeless place on earth. So if that's where you think you are, I got good news for you because it's not deeper to where God can show up. The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up that moment. No more sinking, no more despairing, another chance, forgiveness, light, life. Friends, in the Bible, God's children, who are his by faith, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are never found in the deepest sea. You know what it is there? Our sin. It's buried there. Micah chapter 7. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under his feet. You, Yahweh, will cast all our sins into the deepest sea. You see, friends, as Christians... That is not our home. That's where our sin goes. That's where Jesus took them and he exchanges it for for us with life. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Friends, until you go through the salvation of God's love, you will never be able to preach to dirty sinners. That's why Jonah couldn't go to Nineveh. He needed to understand that he was just like them. He needed salvation just like they did. There is no sympathy or compassion that you can have for anyone until you first recognize that you needed it too. So in chapter 3, Jonah gets up and he goes to Nineveh. God's heart... is a heart for lost people. God's heart for you is for your heart to beat with his. Is that our hearts, friends? I hope that we can emerge from that darkness into light and God will use us to send us to go to the ends of the earth and we'll see people come to faith in Jesus Christ that we never would have imagined, ever would. That's why he's put us here, friends. That's our journey. That's our mission. I hope that we're on it and that we're not found fleeing from his purpose. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the ribs and terrors in the whale arched over me a dismal gloom while all God's sunlit waves rolled by and lift me deepening down to doom. I saw the opening maw of hell with endless pains and sorrows there which none but they that, can, that feel can tell. Oh, I was plunging to despair. In black distress, I called my God when I could scarce believe him mine. He bowed his ear to my complaints. No more the whale did me confine. With speed he flew to my relief, as on a radiant dolphin born, awful yet bright as lightning shone, the face of my Deliverer God. My song forever shall recall that terrible, that joyful hour. I give the glory to my God, his all the mercy and the power. God hear us restore us send us be with us your people and God if there's anyone listening that doesn't know you yet there's a God in heaven that loves you that sent his son to die for your sins so that you could be with him forever would you cry out to him and trust him would you talk to me about it God, we love you, and we need your help. Our town needs your help, our families, our world. I pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful, that we would follow you and trust you. In Mm -hmm. Jesus' name.